taking our second week looking at the book of Ruth, uh, one week per chapter, so we'll have two more after this, again as we're leading up to Christmas, and uh, as I look out there, these chairs are much fuller than last week, um, luck, we uh, had better weather this week, so I know some of you probably are going to be a little bit behind in why we started the book of Ruth, uh, I'll give a little bit of background as uh, a little bit of a uh, review, but redeem it there, just leave it to say this, that uh, Ruth happens in the time of the judges. Um, and the book of Ruth is much more hopeful and much more uplifting and encouraging than the next part of the book of Judges. If you don't believe me, you can read both of those and you will leave with a distinctly different feeling after reading Ruth than you will when we get back to Judges and finish out the book. And so uh, coming up on Christmas, it was much more hopeful and encouraging to look at Ruth to look at the person of Ruth, to look at the book of Ruth and see what God is doing, even in the time of the judges, that seems so dark, that seems so dreary, that seems so hopeless, and yet in the middle of that, at some point, and we don't know exactly when, uh, but in the days of the judges, we see this story unfold of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, and we're going to see love and hope, and we're going to see something different than even what we've been seeing in Judges We will continue to see the same thing we've seen in Judges in one sense, and that is the grace and goodness of God, uh, and we will continue to look at that even today. So, I hope everybody's caught up. We are in the book of Ruth. We looked at chapter 1 last week. We'll be looking at chapter 2 this week. And I would encourage you, as always, if you did miss last week, to go ahead online and listen to where we were, uh, at least read through chapter 1 to see where we've been as we move on to chapter 2. Uh, but you'll remember, uh, if you were here and, and, or if you've listened, that I compared the book of Ruth to a Hallmark movie uh, last week. Uh, and it's going to continue today as we start to see that this story as it unfolds is more than just a historical document. This is more than just a history book. This is a beautifully written story that is written with creativity, that is written with just great understanding of and knowledge of how to write a good story. And, and I would believe, and I still think, that maybe many of the Hallmark movies use Ruth as their model. Uh, and we saw that there are going to be four acts in the book of Ruth, and they kind of take us all the way from the beginning, which is something bad, all the way to the end, which will even include some tension at the very end in chapter 4, and then finally a good ending, and they live happily ever after, and, and, and Justin will get to that as he gets to chapter 3 and 4 the next couple weeks. Uh, but even so, as we've looked at Act 1 uh, last week, we saw, um, we saw Act 1... And and as a whole, we see Act 1 as we understand what the whole story is going to be about. And that is the story of Ruth is going to give us a glimpse of God's redeeming grace. It's going to give us a glimpse of God's redeeming grace. I said last week, and I'll say it again, this ultimately is not a book of just a cute love story. It's not a book just about how we should be like Ruth. This is a book that ultimately points to the redeeming love and grace of God ultimately seen through Jesus Christ. And it points us towards that as we look at the book of Ruth. And in Act 1, we did see the start of the story as a bitter wheat, or bitter, bitter wheat, bittersweet, a bittersweet story, where it starts very bitter. We see that uh, a family comes into play, Naomi and her family, and uh, her husband and her kids, her boys, they die. Uh, they are out of Israel because of a famine, and then she loses her husband and her two sons. 
And all she has left are two daughters-in-law. One who decides after Naomi tells her to go, goes back to her own land to find another husband and to serve her own gods. While as Ruth holds on to Naomi and stays with Naomi and stays with her going back and returning to Israel. And so that's what we've seen so far. So it's been bittersweet because the bitter part was was very simple. Uh, actually, Naomi, whose her name, Naomi, means pleasant or sweet, if you remember that. Uh, but then she renames herself to Mara, bitter. And so for her, from her perspective, everything that is happening is very bitter. She's a widow and she's childless and it seems like there is absolutely no hope. She returns because the famine is over in Israel, but she has lost everything that she left Israel with. And so she sees it as bitter, but yet we are even told, even in the use of her name, sweetness or pleasantness, and we're seen through the person of Ruth, who is a faithful companion, we see that there is still a glimmer of hope, that there is some sweetness. So although it's bitter, the beginning is bitter and hard and bad, there is good to come. And we looked at last week, just that is one glimpse of the fact that God is in the business of making bad things Good. That's what he does. And we're going to see that continue this week as we go into chapter 2. In Act 2, we're going to see the story now starts shifting towards hope. It starts shifting us from the bitterness more towards the sweetness, more towards the hope. And we're going to start that process. And through chapters 2, 3, and 4, it's going to continue to grow and to build until we see the ultimate expression of hope at the very end of the book. And so in chapter 2, in act 2, if you will, of this beautiful story, this uh, made-for-TV movie could easily be, in act 2, we see that hope is starting to find its way. And uh, just a few things I need to say about this before um, we get into reading chapter 2. But I want to notice one thing. I mentioned to you that Naomi, who means pleasant or sweet, her name means that, she changed her name to bitter. But I want, before we even get into reading this, and even into illustrations or anything else, I want you to notice something in chapter 2. We're introduced in the first two words. It says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's. Now, watch what's interesting here. And I didn't catch this until this week when I was reading this. But the narrator does not fall into Naomi's bitterness. Remember, Naomi just changed her name to Mara. So if the narrator was going to continue to say uh, that uh, whatever she renamed herself, he would have started calling her Mara. He would have said, now Mara had a relative. But no, he says, now Naomi had a relative. Throughout the rest of this chapter and throughout the rest of this book, Naomi is still referred to as Naomi, as pleasantness or sweetness. See, she might not be seeing what God is doing, and I think we'll see throughout the book she kind of starts to get it. But even at this point in chapter 2, we're about to see that she is still in a place of no hope. She is still in a place of bitterness. And yet the narrator very specifically and very purposefully continues to call her Naomi because there is still sweetness, there is still pleasantness to come. And I find that very interesting as we look through the rest of the book that what, what Naomi sees is bitter God will see is sweet and pleasant. And I, we can't lose that. Because see, her perspective, and I would even say this, our perspective when things are bad is not always God's perspective. We might see things in a bad light and be bitter and think that there's no hope. That might be the way we see it, the way that Naomi saw it, the way that Mara saw it, that she was bitter. But God has a different perspective. Even in the worst 
of life, God gives this perspective of saying, no, I know life seems bitter, but it's still going to be pleasant. God has a different perspective. And I just wanted to get that out there right away as we look at the rest of this book and see that Naomi is never referred to as Mara because this is not a bitter story. This is a sweet story. And that's what we'll continue to see. Got ahead of myself a little bit, but now we're going to be introduced in the second scene, the second act, I will, the second act, and this is the act in every Hallmark movie or book that you would read where the perfect man shows up, right? Everything is bad, everything's going the wrong direction, and then all of a sudden in the movie you see a guy walk into the room and everybody immediately says, that's the one, that's the guy, that's the one she's going to fall in love with, and you know what's going to happen, And if it doesn't happen, then you get angry. And we're about to see that same thing happen here in Act 2 of Ruth. We're going to get introduced to the man who makes everything okay. The one, the perfect man, if you will. And I was doing some research this week on what does make the perfect man. Um, And uh, I found lots and lots of things. Uh, Lots of different websites said a lot of different things about what makes the perfect man. Uh, What uh, physical traits, what emotional traits... Every single list said they had to have a sense of humor. That was about the only thing that really, uh, really was uh, uh, constant. So I did my own little survey to kind of find out what people actually think. And my own little survey came to reveal that the perfect man, now listen to this, you might want to take notes, guys, if, especially if you're not, okay. Perfect man, five foot nine and a half. Thirty-four years old, brown hair with a little bit of gray, brown eyes, about 255 pounds, um, has three children, um, and the survey was 100%. All of this was 100% because I surveyed one person, my wife. The truth is, as you look out there, everybody has a different perspective of what the perfect man is. But here we see Boaz. We're going to be introduced to Boaz in a moment. And Boaz is seen in this story in many ways as that perfect guy. Now, at least the perfect guy for Ruth, the perfect guy for this story. But we're going to see at the end, and I'm giving you a, I'm, I'm getting to my conclusion before I even get through my introduction. But we're going to see that at the end that Boaz, the perfect guy here, doesn't point, excuse me, doesn't point to doesn't point to a perfect guy that is one to fall in love with, but actually points to, to the perfect man, Jesus Christ. And so we'll get there. And so we don't know what the perfect man is in this world, but Boaz comes pretty close. And we do know, though, that the perfect man of all perfect men is Jesus, and we will get there. So let's take some time, and we're going to look at chapter 2. And we're going to look at Act 2, Scene 1, and we're going to see the classic scene of boy meets girl. Boy meets girl, it's that point of the movie, it's the point of the story where everything starts to turn, and we see this boy meets girl moment in verses 1 through 13. So if you would join with me and read chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, 
who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close by my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink that the young men, where the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord and the God of Israel, whose wings you have come in to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Verses 1 through 13. We see Boaz. Boaz is introduced to the story. Boaz, interesting, right off the bat, we're told something about Boaz before we're told anything about Boaz. In his very name, we are told that he is strength. The name of Boaz literally means strength. Now, if you remember the boys of Elimelech, they were weakness and death. And now we have a man who is named Strength. And so Boaz here is a strong man, and we see that he is in the family of Elimelech. He is in the family, which is going to become a big deal as we go on through the rest of the book of Ruth. I won't get too far into that. But he's in the family, and he is strength. We are also told here in chapter 2 that Boaz is called a worthy man. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man. And his name was Boaz. His name was Strength. A worthy man. Now, this word means a lot. Uh, It can mean a wealthy man. It can also mean wealthy not only in goods, but wealthy in character. And I believe as we see the rest of this story unfold, and later on we'll actually see Ruth called uh, the same thing, called a worthy woman. And so the idea there, and because she wasn't rich, is going to be wealthy, but I think it's wealthy in a, in a very large range. It's wealthy in goods, he has fields, and he obviously is doing well with that, but he is also wealthy in his character. And we will see that as this chapter unfolds. In fact, we see right off the bat as well in this passage that he is a follower of Yahweh. He is a follower of the God of Israel. Uh, And uh, uh, as he comes into his field, the greeting that he gives to his workers and the greeting that they give back, it becomes very obvious that he is committed to Yahweh. Yahweh be with you. And they answered, Yahweh bless you. And this is, it's full of God and he is pointing to God. So not only is he a man who is strong and a worthy man, wealthy in character and wealthy in goods, he is a follower of the God of Israel. And so we start to see that this man really is shaping up to be the one that we need to see, the one that needs to come onto the scene. And he does come on to the scene. And so we're introduced to this man of strength, this worthy man. And hope is here. 
We see that hope is coming through Boaz. But then it doesn't just stop there. Not only is we introduced to Boaz, but then Ruth enters Boaz's field and he notices her. There's no question what happens here. First of all, it's funny that we're told uh, after after Ruth, by the way, before we get too far into this, Ruth goes out to glean. Now, this is what poor people did. Widows, those who needed sustenance, they would go to a field and they would follow and they'd basically be able to pick up all the leftovers that the reapers left behind. And actually, God's word tells people to do that, to help the poor by leaving leftovers behind and and not going back to grab them or telling people they can't do that, but to let people who are hungry and poor to follow behind and get all the leftovers as they harvested a field. And so Ruth is going to do something that isn't abnormal. This is something that would be normal for a poor woman to do. The interesting thing here is that Naomi doesn't do this, even though really she should have been the one providing for Ruth. Ruth actually says to Naomi, let me go out to the fields. Ruth is showing a great act of kindness and love and compassion for her mother-in-law as she goes out to do this. And so she goes and she asks if she can glean and she can follow behind to get the leftovers. And Naomi says, go ahead. And then Ruth goes out. But then we see this in chapter 2, verse 3. And she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. This is an interesting literary feature here. She just so happened. It's like that movie, you know? It's like, the oh, coincidentally, they happened to run into each other at the tree farm. How amazing. And that's what happens here, though. Boaz has his own field. Ruth is out there in some fields. She's gleaning. And then the narrator says, and she happened upon Boaz's field. Now we understand that this is not just coincidence. That God is in control of all things. And he brought Ruth to this point where she would be in the field of Boaz. But the way the narrator writes it is so creative. And she just happened on the field of Boaz, and she does. How convenient. Then Boaz notices her because he needs to ask, he asks his servant, he says, who is this? Obviously, there's something about Ruth that he noticed. Now, I don't know if it's her physical beauty or just her character or whatever. I don't know. God just led him to see her. But he notices her. He looks across the field, he sees her, and goes to his servant and asks who she is. The servant says, this is, uh, this is, uh, Ruth, and notice that the servant, and this is gonna be a theme even through this chapter, so notice this when we read. The chap, this is going to be a theme in which the servant says, it's Ruth the Moabite, the one that is from Moab, the foreigner. And so, this is kinda how Ruth is still known. She's not fully been embraced by the Israelites. She is seen as still a Moabite. And the, the servant says, this is Ruth, the Moabite, who came with Naomi, tells Boaz who she is. Now, you have to assume then, the way the servant answers this, that Boaz has heard something about what's going on with, the, with Naomi. No doubt he knows that Naomi came back to Bethlehem. Uh, he, she is part of his family, so I'm sure he's heard the news, but obviously didn't know who Ruth was yet. But now he notices her, sees her, and then also the servant says, she came and she asked to reap, and then she's been here all day. So this is something that would show her great character. Not only was she respectable enough to ask, 
but she was also a hard worker. And that obviously is something that jumped out to the servant and that jumps out to Boaz. So they see her as in her character. They see her as someone who is a worthy woman, which you will see as you go on through this book. So Boaz obviously notices her, is obviously taken by her for some reason, most likely mostly because of her character. And then we see Boaz speak to Ruth. Boaz speaks to Ruth. Now keep in mind, this is a poor widow, a foreign woman, and Boaz, who is a wealthy, respectable Israelite man, goes out of his way to talk to Ruth. This is not something that would be ordinary. He went out of his way to talk to Ruth. And he goes and he says to Ruth, "Um, I want you to stay in my field. He notices Ruth. He says, Ruth, hey, I'm going to talk to you and I want you to stay here. Obviously very taken by Ruth at this point. Has compassion and kindness on Ruth. Which leads to the third point of scene one, and that Boaz shows favor to Ruth. Now notice when the word favor is used in the Old Testament, it's almost always referring to grace. How we would consider favor to be grace, unmerited favor. See, Ruth did nothing to deserve this at this point. Boaz is giving her favor and kindness by letting her stay in his field, by telling her not to go anywhere, by telling her that she can stay with his young women, that the young men won't bother her, by telling her that if she gets thirsty, she can go drink with his young men. He is giving her great privileges. And this is favor. And and Ruth sees that. Two times she says here, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Again, that theme comes out again. Like, I'm just a foreign Moabite widow. Why would you care about me? Why would you find favor with me? Why would you give grace to me? Why would you be kind to me? And so we see that Boaz shows favor to Ruth. He gives, shows grace to Ruth. He tells her to stay in the fields where she can work and where she will be safe. And Ruth is confused about the amount of favor he is showing her because she's foreign. And then later on in in verse 13, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, although I am not one of your servants. Ruth doesn't quite understand why Boaz is treating her this way, but she is grateful for the favor that he is showing her. Boaz has obviously noticed her character and her faith. That is why, in one way, that he is showing her favor. If you look in in this chapter, we see in verse 12... Um, and actually, sorry, verse 11. Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. So he's heard the story. He knows what Ruth has done. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward will be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, in whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz understands as he gives her this favor that he has noticed her character and how she has taken care of Naomi. He has also noticed more than anything her faith. Notice how he says that she has taken refuge under Yahweh, under the Lord, God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz does something here that changes the narrative of what Ruth is seen as. 
She's no longer just a foreign Moabite widow poor woman, but now she is seen as a follower of Yahweh. She is seen as a follower of the God of Israel. Boaz refuses to just see her as a foreigner who has no value, but Boaz chooses to see her the way God sees her. And we see this, it continues to show how wonderful Boaz is, but would ultimately show how wonderful God is throughout all of this. Ruth is overwhelmed with gratitude over Boaz's kind favor towards her. We see that here in the last verse. We see Boaz has given kind favor, even though uh, Ruth doesn't see any reason that she deserves it, but yet Boaz gives her great favor and sees her character and sees uh, her faith in Yahweh over the fact that she is a poor foreign widow. She had everything going against her, and yet Boaz saw she had everything going for her. All right, so Act 2, Scene 2. We spent a lot of time on Boy Meets Girl. Act 2, Scene 2 is the first date. First date happens. Uh, we're starting in verse 14 through 18. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to, passed her, passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what had been gleaned, and it was about an ephah of, of barley. An ephah of barley. And she took it and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So we see the first date, in a sense, where Boaz, after talking with Ruth and shows favor to Ruth, he goes one step further, and he sits down and eats with Ruth. Boaz invites Ruth to a meal. This is not acceptable. She's a poor widow and a foreigner to boot. And yet she shares food at Boaz's table with his workers. Boaz shows her an ultimate show of hospitality here and is showing great favor and kindness. He continues to do that. He didn't, this was not a requirement. He is going above and beyond anything that was expected as he shares a meal with Ruth. And that's the next point. As he shares the meal with Ruth, Ruth it goes on because Boaz goes above and beyond for Ruth. Boaz goes above and beyond for Ruth. You see, in the meal, she eats until she's full, and then she has extra. Boaz doesn't just give her the bare minimum, but he goes above and beyond and says, I'm going to show you favor to the extreme. I'm going to give you food until you're full, and you will have leftovers to take home. That is exactly what he does. He gives, and then, if that, if, as if that wasn't enough, he gives Ruth permission to do more than just glean the leftover grain. He says, I'm going to give you permission and I'm going to tell my workers not to worry about it. If you start gleaning from the sheaves themselves, that you don't have to just pick up the leftovers. You can get what's the first fruits, if you will, and also then go on and you can, and, I, and then he tells his people to leave things out of the bundle for her, purposefully give her stuff that she will be able to pick up and gather the grain. You see, yes, it was law in Israel to allow poor people to glean the leftovers, but Boaz goes above and beyond and says, not only are you going to get the leftovers, you're going to get the actual harvest. And he puts her in a position to continue not only to have one meal that fills her, but to be full for the whole harvest. And then, in part, in part of this whole going above and beyond, Boaz gives the gift of grain for Ruth and Naomi. 
Some men on their first date give flowers or candy. Boaz gives an overabundance of grain. Probably more practical and will last a lot longer. And that's what Boaz does. She was able to glean directly. She was able to get more than she would ever need. She would get the best quality grain as the workers would leave it for her. And the harvest that she makes, when we're told that it's two ephahs, the harvest she makes is enough for her and Naomi to eat for two weeks. Two weeks. Just the first harvest. The first day of harvest. Two weeks of meals. You see, Boaz is going above and beyond again and gives this gift of grain. And not only that, Ruth also brings the leftovers from her date to her mother-in-law. Brings the leftovers of her date to her mother-in-law and provides for her that way as well. Boaz didn't just stop at providing for Ruth. Boaz is also providing for Naomi. Very interesting here. He could have just focused on Ruth, but he chose to provide for Ruth and her family. Boaz is seen as a man who is a giving man, a good man. And on the first date, he shows her so much favor and kindness. And then in the last scene of Act chapter or of Acts, <laughs> Act Two, Act Two, Scene Three, the next this part of the next part of the chapter, we see that hope begins to grow. Hope begins to grow through the kindness of Boaz. So starting in verse 19, And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and, he, and said, The man's name whom I worked with today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by Yahweh, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides... Uh, He said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with uh, with his young women, lest in another field you would be assaulted. And so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And so we see hope begins to grow. Naomi begins to have hope again. Naomi, who is so bitter, not even willing to go out and glean from the fields, is in a place now where she's starting to have hope. Once she is told by Ruth who she was working with and sees the harvest that Ruth has brought in, Naomi realizes that great kindness has been shown to to Ruth. And so Naomi knows that Boaz, once she hears that this is Boaz, automatically her first thought is, ooh, he's a redeemer. He's a family redeemer. Now, many of you have heard the term kinsman redeemer, family redeemer. Uh, John even prayed about that, that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And that is all true. At this point, we're just told a little bit of a glimpse of that, that he's going to be able to be a redeemer. He's in the family to a point where, if he chose to, he could take the land and the property and the wife of uh, the men who died because he's in the family. I'm not going to get any more detailed into that because in chapter 3 and chapter 4, we'll see a whole lot more developed as that comes about. But we do see that Naomi sees Boaz as a family redeemer, which will become so important through the rest of the story. We also see that Naomi mentions here um, that it says, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, 
May he be blessed by Yahweh, talking about Boaz, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. The word kindness here is the same word earlier that, that Naomi in chapter 1 wishes upon her daughters-in-law. Hesed means loving kindness, loyal love, the type of love that God has and that he expects his people to have for one another. Loyal love that won't fail. And so... Even in this, Naomi sees that Boaz is pointing towards the kindness of God. And her bitterness, I believe, is starting to turn to hope. And so, as a redeemer, as a redeemer that would have the ability to show loyal love, he would be able to redeem the property of Elimelech, but he would also be able to redeem Ruth. But we'll see that later. We see, as we continue to look at what happens between Naomi and Ruth talking about Boaz, we see that Boaz offered to have Ruth continue in his fields. He didn't need to do this. He could have said, great, I filled you today, go to a different field tomorrow. But that's not what Boaz did. As Ruth reports to Naomi, we see that Boaz was clear that Ruth should stay with him and his workers. And the point here, as you see it twice in here, to the end of the harvest... Not just for another day, not just for another week, but to the end of the harvest. And not only the barley harvest, but also the wheat harvest, which would happen after the barley harvest. So this is an extended period of time that Boaz is saying, stay with me, Ruth. Stay here where you can continue to be provided for. So Boaz offered that, and that is giving us hope, long-term hope. This wasn't just a short-term thing that happened. This would be a long-term arrangement. And ultimately, we see at the end of this chapter that Ruth was going to be provided for and protected during the harvest. Boaz's kindness and goodness and loyal love would go to the point of providing for Ruth through the harvest and also protecting her by keeping her safe. Because as a poor widow out in the fields, there's any number of things that could happen. Remember, this is during the days of the judges. The judges, the days of the judges aren't good times. Israel is not really being good people, and there's lots of danger. But Boaz steps up and says, not only am I going to provide for you, but I will protect you. And Naomi sees that it is good for Ruth not only to continue to glean the grain, but also to be protected from abuse at the hands of other field workers. And so we see then at the very end of this chapter, and it says, and she gleaned until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. And this leaves us kind of on a little bit of a, uh, a cliffhanger. Because now, the harvest is over. What's going to happen from here? What's going to happen to Ruth? What's going to happen to Boaz? What's going to happen to Naomi? We've been given this glimpse of hope, but now there's this cliffhanger at the end that says, the harvest are over. What will we do now? And in chapter 3, in act 3 of our wonderful story, we will see exactly what has to happen next. So we've taken a lot of time to see this act, this chapter, to see Boaz meeting Ruth, to talk about the loving kindness that Boaz showed Ruth. And again, we can look at so much goodness in this, and, and we could easily walk away from this chapter and we could say, well, let's talk about how we can apply these things. How should we be more like Boaz? Or how should we be more like Ruth? That would be a way that we could look at this. We could look at how to be like Boaz. We should be kind and generous. We should not look at stereotypes of people, but we should look at them the way God looks at them. And we could spend a long time talking about that. 
We could talk about how we should be more like Ruth and how we should be faithful and how we should be kind and compassionate and how we should be kind to, to our family as she is. And, and we could talk about how we could even go and then start talking about how God has someone out there for you. But that's not the point. The point of Ruth, the point of much of the Old Testament is yes to tell us a beautiful story, but to point us to the ultimate beautiful story, which is the gospel which is Jesus. And so the main point today that I want us to walk away with is not that we should be more like Boaz or be more like Naomi or Ruth. You guys can do those things. That's good. But the ultimate point that we are to see as we look at this story of Boaz and Ruth is that Boaz points us to Jesus Christ. Boaz points us to Jesus. We can't just look at a story and just leave it as a story, just like any other storybook or fairy tale. There is, re- there is real truth to be found as we look at Boaz relating to Ruth. We look at this and we see that there was a problem. There was bitterness. There was darkness. And then a man enters the scene that seems to turn the tide. But I want to read to you from 1 Timothy real quickly. And this isn't in your outline. I apologize for that. I can't, this came to to my mind this morning. But 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Whereas Boaz was the man who would bring redemption for Ruth, spoiler alert, but as he does that, but now we see in the New Testament in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and many of you know these verses, but I want to read these. It says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. The ultimate man that brings peace as a mediator between God and man, by giving himself as a ransom, by giving his life, by being the ultimate redeemer, the man we look to is Jesus Christ. God who became man to die on the cross so that he could be a mediator, so that he could bring us back to God, so that we could have a relationship with God again. You see, Boaz would be a redeemer of Ruth, but Jesus is our redeemer. He is the redeemer of all mankind. He is the one. He is the man. He is the perfect man, not Boaz. I'm sure Boaz was just as sinful as many of the other men. I'm sure he had his issues. I'm sure he wasn't perfect, but he points us towards the perfect one, Jesus Christ. And you notice that the first chapter of Ruth, it was a dark time. Chapter 2, we start to see hope. We're coming up onto Christmas. And you know what was going on at the time that Jesus was born? For 400 years before that, there was darkness and confusion. There was no, God was not speaking to Israel. There was no prophets in Israel. And there was no hope for Israel. They were under oppression by foreign powers. By the time Jesus is going to be born, they are under the thumb of Rome, and Israel has no hope. They feel like there is no hope because they are being oppressed by Rome, and they don't have their own identity any longer, and they are in a time of darkness. And I would say if you would ask Israel at that time how they would define themselves, they would define themselves as bitter. It was a bitter time. It was a dark time. It was a sad time. They needed hope. It was hopeless. And then came Christmas. Then came the day that God said, now is the time to set things right. Now is the time to bring hope. And Jesus comes onto the scene in a very dark time. And the angel visits Mary and and tells her that she's going to have the baby, the Son of God, Jesus, comes to Joseph. and, And then Jesus is born in the midst of the bitterness to bring hope. 
And so this isn't to be put into a vacuum outside of what's going on in Ruth. I find it a very interesting parallel. But I want to take some time this morning to look at some parallels then between Jesus, the perfect man, and Boaz, the perfect man for Ruth. So the first thing I want to look at this morning, and you can turn to the book of Ephesians if you wish. We're going to be there. We'll also look at a few other verses, but Ephesians will be the main place. The first thing we see that Boaz points us to Jesus. As Boaz provided for Ruth, so God provides for us through Christ. As Boaz was generous, God is generous. So as Boaz provided for Ruth, so God provides for us. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. six. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, by which he has blessed us in the Beloved. We see here in verses 3 through 6 that God has provided what? Every spiritual blessing through Jesus Christ as he chose us. And then we see that he adopted us and he gave us all things. For what reason? For the praise of his glorious grace. Remember that word favor? Remember that word favor that Boaz had for Ruth? Well, God has grace, favor towards us. And that is seen here. That is seen here partially by his provision. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Let me read that again from 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so having all sufficiency in all things... At all times, you may abound in every good work. God has provided everything and anything you will ever need. He is the ultimate provider. And I'm not talking about physical provision. I pray that he will give you physical provision. But maybe you won't always have physical provision, but you will have what you need, because what you need is Jesus. What you need is him. And he provides that through Jesus, through Christ. God provides everything we need through the sacrifice of Jesus, and therefore we are provided for no matter what life holds. Not only is Boaz, as Boaz was a provider, is God a provider, but as Boaz is a redeemer of Ruth, so Christ is our redeemer. And I already mentioned this as we talked about 1 Timothy 2, but in, in Ephesians 1, 7, we go on to read, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to what? The riches of his grace. Again, we are given grace by Jesus, undeserved favor, And that comes as a result of the redemption that we can have, that we can be redeemed from our sin, that we can be bought back from sin and from the flesh, and we can be bought to Jesus. We can be forgiven and renewed and redeemed. As Boaz will redeem Ruth, so Christ is our redeemer, and we can hold that to be true. Titus 2, 11 through 14. As we look at this, it's a beautiful picture of what God has done by his grace. Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It's by God's grace that he brings salvation, which is redemption from sin, forgiveness of all that we have gone against, and instead we can have a relationship with him, be redeemed, be bought by Christ through his death. And so Boaz is just a slight shadow, a glimmer of the great redemption that we can have in Jesus. And finally, as Boaz points us to Jesus, we see that Boaz, Boaz showed kind favor to Ruth. And God shows kind favor towards us in Christ as well. As Boaz showed kind favor to Ruth, God shows kind favor towards us in Christ. Continuing in Ephesians in chapter 2, many of you know these, these words, but listen to them. Ephesians chapter 2, go back to starting in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he has loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Favor. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. In what? In kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace... Grace, you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The grace that God gave to bring us to salvation, and the grace that God still gives us today to be able to do anything good, because it's only through his grace, all of that grace is favor that he has shown us that we don't deserve. It's not by our works. It's through his favor and his kindness. His loving kindness, his hesed. Now, hesed is a Hebrew word. It's not used here, but it's the concept that we see. That God has loyal love towards us. And that loyal love leads him towards grace and favor that we don't deserve. Titus 3, 4 through 6 speaks of this even clearer. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared... He saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. We are only saved. We only have hope because of him. Boaz brought hope to Ruth. He brought hope to Naomi. He brought hope to Israel. And we'll see as we continue on the story, though it all points towards the ultimate hope that comes through Jesus. Because he is the one who has given goodness and loving kindness and favor and grace, kindness that we will never understand. Not just being nice, but giving everything out of his loyal love. He will redeem us. He provides for us. He shows us kind favor. And if you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior... If you have not come to a place where you have accepted his gracious gift of salvation to be forgiven of your sins so that you can spend forever with him and have eternal life that will never end and you can have real life that matters and you can have real hope even in the times that are hard and bitter. If you want to have those things, you need to find it only in Jesus. 
only in the ultimate redeemer, only in the ultimate provider, only in the one who gives you kindness and favor and grace. And he's saying, I want to give this to you. All you need to do is receive it in faith. Trust him, believe in him, ask him for it, and just put yourself in his hands. That is what we need to do. And if you have any questions about what it means to know Jesus, as always, if you've been with us, talk to anyone here that knows Jesus. They would be happy to tell you how you can start a relationship and know him, and you can know his grace, and you can know his mercy, you can know his kindness. No matter what your life looks like, you can, Jesus can save. It will save if you call out to him. And so with all of that, I don't have questions to ask like I normally would, like, You need to ask these questions as you leave. I want us, if we are saved, if you know Jesus, this is what I want us to walk away with today. Praise him for his goodness, his kindness, his grace, his favor, his provision, his redemption. Walk away today not feeling like we need to do more, but feeling like God is more. That we walk away looking to him and praising him and thanking him for everything he is and everything he's done because we don't deserve any of this. We don't deserve to be redeemed. We don't deserve to be provided for. We don't deserve to have grace poured upon us. We don't deserve salvation and yet he gave it to us anyway. And if Boaz and Ruth are going to show us anything, it is that even in the worst of times that God gives great hope. And that Boaz points us to Jesus Christ, the ultimate Redeemer, who gives ultimate hope. We're thinking about that about Christmas, but we should think about that every single day. And when you walk out of these doors, as as Christians today, we need to look to Jesus and remember all that he's given us. Remember all that he's done. Remember his grace and walk out in a way that we are praising him and saying, Behold our God who saved us by his grace. That's what we should be doing each and every day. And yet I'm afraid that so many of us walk through this world and we forget how much and how good and how perfect and how kind he is. Don't forget who God is as we leave today. Let's, let's pray.